from time to time it is good to remind ourselves what is the ultimate aim, the purpose of basically all practices we do as a Dhamma practitioner and that is letting go, letting go. And then of course the result of letting go is the total freedom, liberation of the heart, the heart that is uh, freed from defilements, freed from dukkha, freed from rebirth, a heart that is uh, unlimited in its total deliverance. But when we meditate, when we sit down, it doesn't matter which meditation object, it doesn't matter whether it's developing samatha or vipassana, the samadhi or insight, but the point is the practice we are doing there, the meditation we are doing there, is meant to ultimately issue or trigger letting go. Now that is the same with other things in our practice, um, dana, generosity. And if we practice wisely, then we are not practicing dana, giving generosity only to make good karma or attain a fortunate rebirth. Of course, these effects are there and it's very beneficial to reflect on that and to have uh, faith, conviction in that. But ultimately, again, even the practice of generosity is meant to result in letting go. The practice of virtue, keeping precepts of acting with body and speech in such a way that we are not harming other beings or ourselves, this ultimately meant that the heart can let go, a sense restraint, contemplating impermanence, contemplating dukkha. I think I let go of this little talk. I let go as a, it's okay, it's just getting too much. I don't want to shout against the rain. It's quite beautiful. Perhaps we meditate a little bit more, as long as it is so heavily raining. I really like the sound of rain in the background for meditation. So please do not feel discouraged if difficulties arise in your meditation, if thoughts invade the mind and remain, if emotions, memories, fantasies, images may overwhelm the mind. And you can just see that as pointers. Now our own heart is pointing out where we have a little bit more letting go to do. That's basically the only two things we do in meditation. 
And the one is letting go, either by way of uh, samatha, samadhi, or just focusing on the breath or whichever meditation object we are using. And that may already be enough to succeed in letting go of all the other thoughts and emotions and distractions or by way of uh, insight, vipassana, whatever arises in the mind, or the uh, disturbances, images, fantasies, cravings, we contemplate them wisely, and we observe them and uh, recognize, see, contemplate, investigate their arising and passing. We contemplate, observe, see, investigate the tilakana, the three characteristics, impermanence, anicca, dukkha, the disappointing, ultimately disappointing, and third, uh, anatta, not me, not mine, not I, not self. So that the heart can let go. However, if the heart can't let go and these things continue harassing us in our meditation, then we recognize this is an area where we have to work, where we have to apply all the various methods of Dhamma until the heart finally can let go. That's all there is usually. But so important in never to lose sight of that final uh, goal and purpose, uh, namely letting go. I've sometimes seen it even in uh, long-term traditional Buddhists, and they contemplate maybe death or maybe dukkha, and they make it into kind of resignation meditation. So, yeah, okay, we all have to die. nothing I can do about it, and then I just resign myself to the fact that I have to die. Or in the same condemnation with Dukkha, and this is totally not what the Buddha meant. I'm not contemplating Dukkha to just equanimously endure it. We're contemplating Dukkha so that we can let go of Dukkha and due to letting go, that we can experience the state of freedom from dukkha, vimutta, citta, the liberated mind, the delivered mind, the released mind. So please never mistake these meditations, in particular contemplating dukkha, the suffering, the characteristic, of uh, everything being ultimately disappointing, stressful, or outright painful and suffering. And I never mistake that as a contemplation uh, meant to induce a kind of resignation. <laughs> Fortunately, you know, the Buddha and all the great Abahans in the last 2,500 years you know, have realized what is beyond Dukkha. Now, this is what we are going for. But the only way of going beyond Dukkha, the only way of uh, experiencing the released mind is through letting go. Not through pushing Dukkha away or denying it or ignoring it or 
trying to endure it, but through an understanding wisely observing reality as it truly is, so that we can see the arising and the passing away, the impermanence, the non-self character of all phenomena and uh, let go. So rather than getting upset if meditation doesn't issue into letting go, but maybe a hard slog with all kinds of distraction coming in, never mind. We later, once we come out, we are looking back and then we identify and the issue, if it really overwhelms us or if there's all kinds of real distractions and the mind can't settle down, is obviously that we can't let go yet. Investigating in it from that side, that our mind shows us in meditation which are the areas where we cannot yet let go. And then we can use wisdom to really hone in on that and focus on that. And if it's thought about food, then we make an effort to contemplate food. If it's thought about sensuality, we make an effort in contemplating the nature of this body, what is really attractive in this body. Actually, really nothing, if you look closely, is nothing of the constituent parts is attractive. If it is anger, old hurts, old grudges, then we have to develop more loving-kindness. We have to reflect on karma. We can let go of that anger. So uh, just seeing any of our, our obstructions in meditation as a way our mind is pointing out to our wisdom faculty, to our mindfulness, where we have to let go, where we can't let go yet. And then, for example, when you come out of your meditation, you start walking. I like that combination, uh, uh, sitting a little bit more on samatha, and then once one starts walking, the mind is more active anyhow, and you have the eyes open. For me, that works quite well. Then going more towards uh, vipassana, wisdom, insight. And one way of practicing vipassana is looking back during the one-hour meditation. Which areas did our mind point out to ourselves as in need of letting go? And then uh, using suitable techniques to hone in on that and using the wisdom faculty to analyze that so that over time the letting go can occur. And once letting go occurs, then it's all good. <laughs> Nothing. You don't have to solve all the issues. It would be really tough if you had to turn this world into something perfect. There's no more dukkha and impermanence it would be obviously also a completely impossible task. The same with the body. With the body, is more deceptive. It may look like, particularly when you're still young, that you can get it into a reasonable, good shape, that you don't have any dukkha from the body. But ask any old person, this will not work for too long if you're ever successful. The real solution to all the deep problems is, is only letting go and nothing else.
And once the letting go occurs, the, the mind will be fine. You don't have to worry. You may not be able to resolve the cancer in the body or whatever else is a problem. Or they are simply the old age. You may not be able to resolve the war in Ukraine or the uh, political disappointments we all experience and what's all going on. And Once you let go, once the heart really lets go and everything is resolved, the heart is free. I don't have to worry about the thing then. Is there any questions or comments on your meditation, on letting go, on issues, on anything? So someone is asking if we look back after an hour quiet sitting meditation and then we come out and we look back how was it going and you notice that the mind was jumping in and out of the meditation object you said ne? and uh, how do we resolve that and obviously we resolve it by letting go but what to let go so you would have to ask uh, when your mind is jumping out of the meditation object now the mind always takes an object I mean usually unless it's it's uh, <laughs> it's let's go and uh, realizes uh, the objectless, so to speak, animita, apaneta. So usually it jumps to something else. If it jumps away from the meditation object, it jumps to something else. And usually that will be something you are attached to in some way. Why else would it jump away from the meditation object which the Buddha has given us to... Uh, free as which the Buddha has given us life, uh, like a like a life boy, uh, that we can uh, escape from drowning in this ocean of samsara. The meditation object is like a life boy, uh, will lead uh, to rapture, bliss, and ultimately letting go. Depending on the object, some may lead only to rapture and bliss and samadhi. Some may lead uh, to full insight and freedom. So why would our mind want to jump away from that? In particular, if you're setting ourselves the task you know, that the mind stays with the meditation object. And usually it jumps to somewhere where we are attached. Attached can also mean by aversion. Usually it jumps to things you know, where we have uh, desires and craving or where we have you know, grudges, dislike, aversion. And both is a form of attachment. So you have to look, where does your mind jump when it jumps away from the meditation object? And then that is the one which you want to investigate. To show the mind more clearly that this is not, uh, that this is something vastly inferior to the meditation object. That this is something uh, um, connected with danger and uh, suffering and the repeated round of rebirth and ending up in all kinds of trouble, even if it appears like quite a beautiful, nice fantasy. <laughs> I have to dissect that. That's at least my suggestion.
for sure, yeah, no, that is a form of vipassana. If you try to figure out no, why does your mind jump away from the meditation object into something else, no, that is a form of developing wisdom. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that would come under vipassana. Um, depending on how how deeply you are able no, to see that and investigate it. I mean, it's normal for the mind, of course, no, on a more superficial level, it is normal for the mind to be constantly jumping. No, the monkey mind is all well known. So uh, to a certain extent, it's quite normal and we need uh, quite a bit of training and patience and gradually getting used in our meditation to stay with one object no, for a longer time. And that aspect is also there, and no, simply uh, training the mind in uh, becoming more content and able to sustain attention long-term on a suitable object. But no, I think in particular someone like you, no, we are doing that all for years. So here today no, I felt the more important one is no, to look at where does the mind go when it goes away from the meditation object. And uh, quite regularly you find it's something no, connected with attachment, craving, identification. And then you look at these things and dissect it and analyze it and to show yourself the danger, the ardeneva. It may be something very nice, may feel very nice when the mind jumps away from the meditation object into some beautiful fantasy or memories or things like that. But no one has to <laughs> destroy that later. One has to show the mind that this, although it feels quite nice, you know, this particular fantasy or whatever it is, you know, that it is you know, connected with sangsava, connected with danger, connected with uh, craving, connected with the first noble truth, not with the third. That's the whole point, the first noble truth. And to show the mind that leads to dukkha, it's, it's disappointing, it's uh, unsatisfactory, it's outright painful. Because our mind will not want to jump onto something painful. When the mind sees this is the dangerous, painful, disappointing, and it clearly sees it will not want to jump there. Just like you personally wouldn't want to jump into a fire normally, because <laughs> you, know, you know it will hurt. And put our hand into into a fire, into the candle even, we know it's hurtful, it's painful. It's the same with all these mental things, but it's more difficult to see. We all had the experience, probably as a little kid at some stage, you get too close to fire and then you learn. The ones burn twice shy, as they say. But the mind is much more deceptive, and it's not so easy to see. You know, the burning may not come immediately, and if we allow our mind to get lost in whatever there in our meditation, images, fantasies, thoughts, plans, grudges, and so on, it's more difficult to see than putting the hand into fire, and it hurts immediately. These things... Uh, often the danger uh, comes out much later, so it needs much more powerful contemplation to show it, that the mind can clearly see this is dangerous, and then we let go.
I find investigation more difficult than calming the mind in samadhi. It's quite common that people have a stronger facility for either samadhi or for insight. Now, the Buddha even distinguishes different sekas, the people who have already realized steam entry, and they classifies them according to their dominant faculties, or the way leading to a stream entry, the sadhanusari, dhammanusari. So it's quite, uh, it's not unusual that one side of samadhi or wisdom is uh, more natural or easy for us. But it's important that uh, also train the weaker side. And the weaker side may often be the bottleneck. If one really neglects the weaker side amongst meditation, that may be the main um, limitation then for progress. So if you feel that your um, practice of uh, investigating with wisdom is uh, lacking compared to uh, calming the mind in samadhi, then you want to give it a special attention. You can do that by uh, listening to talks which are focusing on wisdom from teachers who talk about wisdom quite a bit. I mean, uh, Ajahn Chah, Lumpur Sumedho, even Lungta Mahabua, they have quite a strong emphasis on, on wisdom. Now getting to the suttas, you know, the Buddha is always working with a very strong wisdom faculty. But of course, then also making an effort, for example, like we talked today, you, know, you investigate, why does your mind jump away from the meditation object? You really want to go in and, like, like a researcher and figure that out. It's a weird thing. You know, the meditation object will lead you to a samadhi, bliss, rapture, nibbana, so why would your mind want to jump away? There must be some good reason. I tend to start on that condition rather than when we go into investigation. Yeah, I can relate to that. When the samadhi goes reasonably well, the samatha side goes reasonably well, and then you feel quite content. But there can be a certain laziness. And it's important to uh, use the qualities that Samatha is building up. One reason you feel so nice is that the hindrances are weak. Samatha suppresses the hindrances of um, essential desire, ill will, sloth and torpor, restlessness and remorse and doubt. And you want to not just enjoy that, but even more valuable is not to use it to push ahead in your vipassana, in your insight, in your investigation. But I know exactly what you talk about. Now I also can get that. And you may not feel, you may just feel enjoying that. Now, to some extent that is fine. There's no, no harm there enjoying the calmness from your meditation and the brightness of mind and so on. But one should never de neglect to also use these qualities for investigation. Yeah. You know, when you come out, and if you if you find it difficult for your mind to, to get any investigation going, the one way is to get some input through a more wisdom-focused Dhamma talk. Another way is reading a sutta from the Buddha. 
I mean, obviously, you know, in, in English or in a language which we understand, if you know Pali, is fine, but uh, really for the content and then investigating along that line. Or the other suggestion, as I said today, you, know, you just go in and try to figure out why does my mind jump away from the meditation object. It's not necessarily a logical thing to do, isn't it? You know, the meditation object leads you to rapture, bliss, samadhi, uh, freedom, liberation, nibbana. So why does a mind want to jump away? There must be some very strong thing causing the mind to do that. And that is one uh, very pragmatic, practical way of you know, using wisdom directly in your mind. What, what, what is it? What attracts the mind to jump away there? And once you identify that, you know, then you want to deliberately destroy that which sometimes you don't want to do because you know, some of these fantasies may also be quite nice and you're quite calm and <laughs> you're sitting there and thinking about something nice but that doesn't doesn't lead anywhere really no? so once you identify what it is you know, then comes the task you know, to analyze it in such a way you know, that the attraction is destroyed which takes some courage and some letting go, no, because you yeah, wouldn't be able to indulge in that anymore once you have shown your mind that it's really dangerous and ultimately disappointing. Okay, thanks for the good question. Already after five, unless there's something urgent, we can share merits with all beings on page 33.
Prince of God, through the supreme power of all these, may darkness and delusion be dispelled. Sampai jumpa 